Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now rocking with the Larkcast after a little hiatus, a vacation, if you will, holiday, they call it, in Europe. The man, holiday. the myth, the legend, Russell Johnson is back with us. What's up, Russ? Had a holiday. 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 <laughs> As uh, my friend Nadia would say. How was your holiday? Um, it was good, man. It's good to be back. Had a little two-week road trip with the family. I should say, not the whole family. My older kids, they 24, 21. They have jobs. They have bills. Can't always get, you know, get, get out of town. Um, right. With mom and dad, at least. So we took little man, Eli, five, and we hit the road. And we drove from the bottom of Florida, where we live, all the way to Fort Niagara, which sits about 100 yards from Canada. Okay visiting people and friends and family and sites along the way. And then we made how many miles home. total. I want to say like 2,800. Dude. Yeah. That's solid. That's solid road trip right there. Yeah, man. Yeah. Shout out to Subaru Outback. <laughs> if they're interested in sponsoring this podcast uh, for adventures. Um, yeah, it was good. It was a good trip, man. That's awesome, man. Well, to good back. to have you back. Uh, did you run anything over in the middle of the road on your way back from your road trip? Any big hunks of metal, flat tires, engine explosions? No, man. Like we, we did surprisingly well on this trip. That's awesome. We did eat a lot of good food. So there was a no number surprise of spots. There. Yeah. <laughs> we stopped at to, to check out and grab some grub, man, on the way up, on the way back. Um, big shout out to my cousin, Dustin and his wife, Becca up in Rochester, New York. She threw down on a meal, dude. That was just unreal, man. Seriously. Like everything from scratch. It was berserko. but my favorite part of the food trip, I'll just say this quickly before we dive into John here was we stopped at a barbecue restaurant called Stamey's in Greensboro, North Carolina. That's where the, my family has primarily been in and around that area for about nine generations. Okay. Um, it's a place that I would visit every summer when we would go there on vacation, you know, being a kid who grew up in Florida, um, due to mom's work. Uh, my dad would always bring me to Stamey's, you know, every summer when we would travel, good barbecue, man, been there over a hundred years. And while we were eating, we got our, we got our food started to, you know, to dive in the waitress is still there and present, right. And she delivers this. And my youngest, Eli, five years old, takes a bite and he goes, mmm, that's tasty. <laughs> to which I kind of laughed. And then he says, hey, dad, you know, you know, another word that you can say when something's like really good, like food. And I was like, what's that, buddy? He goes, this is damn good. <laughs> <laughs> so that is awesome. <laughs> My wife laughs, I laugh, the waitress laughs, and we're all like, ah, you know, 
you could get on to him, but that's kind of have a point. So I just explained to him about like some other ways to phrase things when you're five. But I did quietly high five him afterwards. Yeah. And agree. You're right. Man, buddy. If, every, if anyone doubts like the importance of fathers and kids, that's the story you tell right there. There it is. That, that Eli Johnson. I love that kid. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> for me that there was, was another there's another story you told me about him on vacation i don't know we could share that one on on the podcast but yeah probably not. i've been i've been sharing that story with a few people but <laughs> shout out to eli how old is he now he's five dude five okay yeah that's right five he turned five old. at the beginning of the year yep. that's awesome he's five going on 16 25 Every- and everyone around him is a lot older. He just has that that vibe about him. Yep. He's beyond his years. Well beyond his years, man. Well-traveled. Smart little So, lad. dude, you have uh, shifted now into um, the text, the topic at hand. Yeah, buddy. You have, like, the most famous verses in all of John's gospel and all of the I scripture. I do. Does that excite you or does that make you like nervous? I would in this probably is, this is probably a testament to like my personal struggles and maybe even a reason why I need counseling, but it makes me probably nervous more than excited. More like kind of like a big shoes to fill kind of a thing. Yeah, like, am I going to you know, do this thing justice? Yeah. 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 I mean, stone cold and the whole, you know, 316 thing, man, really made that passage famous for everybody. Awesome. 316. <laughs> I love his voiceover on Instagram. I drank a beer. I drank another beer. <laughs> Three beers. Four beers. Five beers. <laughs> six yeah. beers. Seven beers. And a Bloody Mary. So good. Too much, man. Too much. But yeah, I got these verses. And I got these verses. <laughs> I gotta do justice here, man. I gotta don't screw gotta it unpack up, these things. Yeah, don't exactly don't, don't mess this up. So without further delay, I think I'm just gonna read them. Get into it, I bro. A, I got a handful here. I'm gonna go to verse 21. This is coming off the heels of the last podcast. If you haven't got to check that out. Uh, Tony did an awesome job of really unpacking the story of Nicodemus and this Pharisee religious leader within the Jewish culture coming to Jesus at night under fear of, you know, what's going to happen to him if people find out, because he really is starting to wrestle with this dude very well might be the Messiah that was promised. Mm-hmm. So coming on the heels of that, Jesus responds to him and says, listen, God, for God so loved the world, verse 16 that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. All right. That's, uh, that's not, that's, that's damn good news, man. Damn in the words news. of Eli, in the words of Eli. For God did not send his son into the world, he says, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Okay. Just to be clear, verse 19, 
The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But, there's the but, verse 21, whoever, and again, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Hmm. Now, these verses, as you guys know, Tony, as you know, as I know, um, they can result in a in joy or fear. Sure. Right. They can result in people reclining in the grace of God, or they can result in people really working hard to refine their stories in hopes that God might love them, hmm. might accept them, maybe work on their behalf. If they can just right, and then fill in the blank. That's been my experience. John 3.16, man, it's talked about everywhere. Heard it preached a zillion times in the church world that I've been a part of for the last right. 20, what, 24 years now that I've been a believer. John 3.17, however, is something that I've rarely heard talked about. Right. You, know, you hear a lot about God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then it seems like our theology sort of takes a break. And we completely forget that in the very next words, Jesus himself said, just so we're clear, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Whoa, hmm. wait. Yeah, guys, he did not send his son into the world so that he would condemn it, he says, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's pretty important to me, man. Cause I feel like he's really getting into something there. The whosoever in verse 16, it's pretty plain. Whosoever let's, let's not muddy this. You know what I mean? Let's not get all crazy about it. Let's not try to appear smart about it. Let's not come up with frameworks for John three 16 so that we can feel some sense of significance or importance because of, you know, how we see it and how we teach it and what we can offer to people who are on the outside. The verse is pretty plain whosoever don't care who you are where you're from what you've done it's irrelevant hmm. whosoever believes that the god who made you really does love you and really did send his son to this world so that you could have eternal life if you believed in him if you trusted back in the very reality of the garden that you were made by him you were made for him everything was made through him and in him and in him alone is life because he is life Mm -hmm. right if this is you by by all means amen hmm. rejoice you're loved man in Eternal. the words of paul's <laughs> prayer in ephesians the love of god is deep it is mm -hmm. wide it has depth breadth length height every dimensional adjective you can think of yep. um this is how massive it is and it's so massive, he says in that prayer, you need help from God even to understand it. Bro, and I feel like that there lies the problem. You know, the problem for me is like John 316, like if you've been around like Christian community, the scriptures or whatever, I think familiarity can set in just like anything. Like familiarity can set in in a relationship 
um, mm-hmm. you know, a hobby, like any which way you relate to anything, familiarity can can set in. And John 316 is definitely one of those. Like for me, like this was one of the I grew up in like a Baptist context. So I was doing like Awana, which is like you mm-hmm. memorize verses for like paper dollars and like cheap made like Chinese crap. And you got a candy bar if you like invited your friend, you know, kind of a thing. And um, that's, that's the kind of stuff, you know, like Chinese finger trap things and cheap kazoos and just crappy stuff, like in general. But like you were dropping, like, buy- like dropping a hundred bucks at Chuck E. Cheese so you can get a 30 cent whistle. Yeah, dude, like going <laughs> to the fair, you know, like you got to play this game. But really, it's like, dude, this stuff animal is going to cost me 40 bucks of darts, you know. Um, and you just inevitably get into a fight with a carny, you know, over the thing. and uh it's so like just the familiarity you know of of this passage and if you just stop to to think for god so loved the world and you can take that word for in a couple different ways you can take it as so much and in this way Mm -hmm. and as i was studying john just going through this podcast it's kind of cool, I guess, that, you know, John has a lot of words like this to have these like double meanings. And it's yeah. like, for God so loved, like so much and in this way. Here's how he expressed his love in the giving of his son as a gift. Yep. As a gift. Yep. I like the word because when I think about that, it's, uh, I guess probably just because of, of, of what it reveals in regards to what became before and what comes after. Hmm. Yeah. Which is, you know, exactly what you're saying in this way, mm-hmm. because he's like this, because he's this like is this. what he's done. Mm-hmm. And I get pretty excited about that. And just to be clear, it's not because. Well, man, back in 1997, man, working on a freight dock in Tampa when I was at, my, you know, the lowest of my low, you know, I began to really encounter the teachings of Jesus. I think that's probably used to be why I love that verse so much. But the more I live the Christian life, the more I find myself going, no, I'm kind of rejoicing in it because of how I am now today. 23 years, 24 years into the story. 22 years, I guess, a little more now um, yeah. in regards to ministry. And where you would think like, yeah, man, you eventually get to a point where you got it together. You've arrived. Things are easier. Life is better. Nah, no. it's not true. Mm-mm. It's not true. Um, that's a load of horse shit, man, that we all got handed in the name of faithfulness to Jesus. The story's yeah. always been about God's faithfulness to us. It's mm. never been about our faithfulness to him. Yeah. And if I've learned anything over the years, it's, it's how weak my flesh is. It's how desperate I am for the news that despite, despite my, my proclaiming of him, there's always this inept desire within me to control, to be God to make it happen, to make it work, to be something in and of myself, to prove to me and the people around me that I matter. Hmm. And it inevitably always winds up 
causing pain to other people and myself. And it doesn't get easier as you get older. I think for me, the joy of God's grace is, is seeing how little I actually bring to the table and how good he really is and continues to be. The fact that despite what Russ has or hasn't done, he loved me so much that he sent his son. This is all him, by the way, his doings. And simply said, trust me. Hmm. That's it. And you're going to probably need to do that more as you go. <laughs> Not less. You're going to realize, yeah, that it's more <laughs> of a life of, of faith. Um, yeah. And like just, in, you know, 17. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He doesn't carry no. with him a ministry of condemnation. As much as we want to take, a, you know, various words of his yeah. and turn them into, you know, that. Um, we're going to see later on in my passage, next episodes, he's given everything over to the son and put it in his hands. And he carries with him a ministry of no condemnation. And yeah, that is this, the thing that forces the conversation. This is the great reality that everybody mm -hmm. in the world needs to wrestle and grapple with the love of God expressed in the sending of his son. And I feel like I'm just going to say this out loud, man. I feel like it's a freaking thing that should make everyone stop in their tracks because yeah. you have the church culture. That's like so petrified of what this can get turned into that needs to be reminded. Jesus himself says, God did not send me into the world to condemn the world. What part of this do you not understand? But then there's the people on the other end of the spectrum that are outside and sort of looking in and fearful of all this that you want to say, guys, ladies, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send him to condemn you. And so I feel like I'm constantly talking to both audiences. I'm looking at people outside that are weary what they've heard in the name of Jesus and church and faith and the Christian life. And I'm saying, I understand why you're weary. So please hear me when I say he did not send his son to condemn you. And I feel like I'm simultaneously having to say that to people from the church world. Why do you keep passing him off this way? Hmm. Do, did you not read the very next verse after the one that you seem to quote everywhere you go? that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. This false perception of an angry God who's out to settle scores with sinners. It's nonsense. Mm -hmm. Stop it. Stop it. And what I've sometimes hear from people is, well, well, man, you don't understand. Like I'm a little fearful of, uh, of cheap grace. I feel like God's grace is always being like presented in like these cheap ways. Like he just loves you. So you can just go do whatever to which I'm like, listen, I understand that people can take God's unconditional love and they can turn that into, therefore everything's lawful and everything's good. And we should just pursue whatever, go kick dogs on the weekends. It's all good. Like, no, it's not. Okay. God who made humanity knows what's good for humanity. And yes, he has spoken to what is good and what's not. He's spoken to what is right and beautiful and loving and what is not. In other words, he showed us what leads to joy and what doesn't. But stop confusing that and our ability to walk in that with how he sees us, how he feels about us, or what he's done. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So when, so when you tell me like you're fearful of like letting the cat out of the bag about John three seventeen, because you're f- afraid that people will abuse grace and they'll turn right. it into something that's cheap. I'm like, grace is always cheap. That's why it's free. If you had to buy it, purchase it, it would remain on the shelf and forever out of your reach for all of time. Yeah. It's always well, it free. Yeah. It goes back to the control <laughs> thing. Right. It goes back to the control. Like. I'm going to curb this message out of fear of what it might produce in someone. And I love like, cause you will run into people who in their understanding of the love and grace of God will use it as an excuse or as a covering. But the problem we think in that is that, well, the problem must be with grace <laughs> instead of the, <laughs> instead of the human heart which man can find an excuse at anything, you know, that it, that it wants to do whatever it, oh, it wants. So true. And it's yeah. like, there's two kinds of people in, you know, the world, people who are just like, I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want. Yeah. And you know, there's that rebellious heart and other people who are just looking for permission at any yep. turn. And once they find that supposed permission or that scapegoat, maybe to excuse whatever behavior they'll hang their hat on that. And sometimes it happens to be the love of God, but don't assume the problems with the love of God. (laughs) Don't assume the problem is with the grace of God and Christian, if this is you and you're fearful to let this news be as, as damn good as it is for this grace to be as good as it is, because you think it's going to produce something and you need to provide some sort of like, you need to be the equilibrium, AKA I need to be the spirit. Um, right. in people's yeah. lives, man, just find some freedom and letting go of that control. Cause playing God just sucks, man. In the end, it does. You're not good at it. No, you're not. We're not, you're not, you're not good at it. Ask it me never- how I know. Ask me how I know. Cause <laughs> every day I try to do it. It never works out. Well, it always winds up destroying people's stories. And I think, I think we're free to look at this truth and look at it throughout the book of john and the parables even and go man uh this is a rigged trial that works for our good because of a good god who knows what we can't bring to the table and so he does it for us yeah and there's so much fear in us to come to this god and this passage is is talking about this like we're, we're afraid of of the light We're afraid of the light. We don't know if we can trust the light because we know the darkness um, about ourselves. And it's probably, I think we kind of like maybe discover ourselves and know more about the reality of who we are before we know about the reality of this, of this light. And so we take this knowledge of our own darkness and maybe we kind of transpose what the light might be thinking about our darkness. Right. And maybe we might make some judgments about that, or maybe fashion a God in the image of our own brokenness, like, man, well, this is who I am. So man, this God probably is not going to welcome me or accept me. Yep. So I gotta, I gotta do something here, man. Mm -hmm. I gotta prove something. I gotta justify myself in some way. I gotta show my gratitude, my thankfulness. I'm just saying you can run down the, you know, the list all day long, but you know, verse 16 has already made it pretty plain. Like your works, good or bad or irrelevant. Mm-hmm. He's not calling for them because they will always miss the mark. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. 
when we talk about cheap grace and the fear of it, like the fear of what this really means for the world, what I find is that sometimes within the Christian world, you have this camp that's so afraid of it, of being liberal with the text, okay, um, of being cheap with grace, that, that they, they undo these verses and, and they bring in conditions. They bring in a responsibility that's on our part. They bring in the need for accountability to make sure that we all really get it and we continue to live in step with it, all right? Like all that gets like factored into this equation. And what I'm finding over the years is it's really ironic because the people who are afraid of being liberal with the text, are they themselves the poster child for being liberal with the text? Hmm. You see, the law is pretty plain throughout the scriptures in its demand for perfection. Hmm. That's why Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he really helps people grab onto what is really needed, if you want to be righteous and live with God, mm-hmm. gets to the end of that and says, in summary, be perfect, as my Heavenly Father is perfect. And what I'm finding is there's this thing in us that will ignore all of that in the name of holding up the law and what is good and not being liberal with grace. And what we do is we actually lessen the law. We cheapen mm-hmm. it. Yeah. We cheapen it. We or in take Jesus it words, in, we lax it. We relax yeah. the law. Yeah, we take it we and turn it into blow. something that, that people can do. We yeah. return it to the realm of the possible. Yeah. Instead of going, no, no, you don't get to in fear of people abusing grace, then go in and actually cheapen the law. That's not how this works. The law demands perfection. Not one dot of it shall be removed, Jesus said. That hasn't gone anywhere, which is why Jesus plainly tells us later on in John that it's the law that judges you, not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not going anywhere. So what is good and beautiful to walk in isn't going anywhere. Jesus isn't taking that away. He's just making it clear that your ability to walk in that is no longer what makes you lovable or worthy or part of my family. Nor can it call you out of the darkness. No, it's not going to produce can, any of that. In it's you. not a, it's not a light that will draw you out. It's no. not safe. It doesn't, no. it pronounces only your death, right? It speaks well, nothing of love. But what I'm saying is like, we forget that. And what I'm finding is in the name of, of not being cheap with grace, we actually cheapen the law, the law, all yeah. in the name of like not being liberal. And I'm like, that's exactly what you're being with the text. Sure. You're holding up calls to life and then actually painting a picture like people are walking in it somehow. Mm-hmm. That's not how this works. Right. And I think that all leads to just the end. And I'll just say this because I know we're running out of time. In verse 18, Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Right. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. He says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son of God. So he makes it pretty plain here. All we have to do to escape our deserved judgment is believe. Simply believe. Romans 8.1 is not playing around. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. But then he goes on in verse 19 and he says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. All right. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. All right. So Jesus does not judge us, but if we refuse this 
indiscriminate acceptance, this unconditional grace that's met us where we are. And we want to keep on running in the darkness of our failed control. Okay. Then he's ultimately saying here, I can't help you. If you want to go live in that myth and refuse reality, I can't help you. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like he's saying, I've put a billion dollar deal in your pocket. And for some reason you refuse to move your hand so that you can enjoy it. Your refusal to accept your acceptance falls on you in this. That's where the judgment lies. It's not in your right inability to get it together, which is why in verse 20, he goes on here and says, for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light, mm-hmm. lest his work should be exposed. Right? So it's like, out which of is everyone of unbelief. That's everyone. 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 We're not talking about different categories of people, right? All yeah. of us are afraid of exposure. Yes. Public exposure is already at hand in the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. Everyone's yes has already fallen flat. Mm-hmm. That's why we need a savior, not a guide. That's why we need resurrection, not reform. That's why all of our attempts to fix the world is a joke and has never, nor will ever work. Right. By the way, never were we asked to do that. <laughs> Just to be clear, <laughs> that, that's something above our pay grade. That's a whole nother, it's a whole nother podcast. So what he says here is that, you know, in the darkness of our unbelief, we fear God and therefore we run from him. In some cases, we even hate him. We're afraid of exposure because we don't understand that exposure is not the end of you. It's the beginning. Yeah. Exposure is not the end of you. It's the beginning of a loving relationship with a gracious God who's already reconciled you. Yep. And to me, this is where it all sort of comes to a close here. Verse 21, he says, so whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I love that. Whoever does what is true. It made me really think about this, man. In our darkness, we can't help but undo this verse and even read it wrongly. It's like uh, in our guilt, we are fully ready and expect God to take back what he's done. Okay. We expect God to make us come in and say, I know I said, I love you and I've done it all, but just so we're clear, you're probably going to need to earn your place. At minimum, you're going to need to prove your gratitude. I just want to make sure you really believe what I've done. The old deal sounds too good to be true. And here comes the old switcheroo. Yep. Yep. And we do it all the time, man. All the time we read oh, into this I knew verse. I needed to practice the truth. I knew a level of performance was required. Something's needed here, Russ. Didn't you read and John? I know you keep quoting to me, John 3, 16 and 17. But, you know, in verse 21, Jesus said, whoever does what is good comes to the light. To which case I'm like, no, that is not what it says. Jesus says, whoever does what is true comes to the light. He did not say whoever does what is good come to the light. There's a difference, Mm -hmm. a very, very big difference. Whoever does what is true, he says, we can come to the light. In other words, what he's saying here is that we can come to the light no matter what our deeds are. Yes. Because whatever our deeds are have already been done in the light. 
because the very presence of the God who is our very life is the one that we exist in. (laughs) So all of your bad has already been done in the light. It's already been done in the very presence of him who was life, of him who Mm -hmm. was truth, of him who was love. And therefore, you can embrace that and embrace the fact that he's seen this, he knows this, and yet, in spite of it, loves us and has chosen, right? To not say, Russ, clean yourself up, then you can come to me. Go do what is good, and then you can come in the light. Instead, he says, no, it's what is true that I've invited you into. We are required to do the truth, to bring our ugliness into the light of the one who absolves it all in his death for our own yep. public exposure is not the end of you. It's yeah. the beginning. It's the beginning. Um, in Greek, it's two words, do truth, do right. truth. And really all he's talking about here is just faith and repentance, which is yep. two sides of the same coin. Yep. The light, I love that same coin. Of, the light draws us out of the darkness. It's his goodness that leads us, his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so as this light, the son, which the father has sent, and we start to see his goodness and we start to trust that we come out of our darkness of our rebellion or our religion, whichever way we're, we're, we're being nice and cozy in the rebellion of our darkness, or we're trying to remain in darkness by producing a righteousness of our own and calling it light. Yeah, calling it's it good. wooing yeah. us, it's drawing us out. And once we see the sun for who he is, once that's revealed to us, we do the truth. We practice yep. the truth and trust in him. It's just, it's John in another way saying what he's always saying and up until this point, believe. Believe. Yep. Kind of where we started. Yeah, you know what I just said in verse 16? Yeah, I wasn't kidding. Here's more verses to just continue to double down on the fact that Jesus wasn't kidding and i don't have a ministry of condemnation my entire weight and effort in your life is to draw you to this life-giving reality that you're loved so much and in this way through the sun helping you by faith learn to live loved that's what i'm doing there it is so to that i would say till the next episode where we get to go even further with this conversation. Yes. Right? Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.